500 years ago he washed ashore the sole survivor of a shipwreck and upon the skull of the man who killed his dad he said i'm mad i must eradicate piracy injustice and cruelty and all my sons will follow me so evil doers will believe that this man cannot die G'day everyone, this is X-Band, the Phantom Podcast, and uh, we are the Chronicle Chamber team. Uh, my name is Dan Fraser, I'm joined by Jermaine Parker. How are you, Jim? Oh, mate, it's good to talk, Phantom, and this is going to be a fun night with a great comic. Absolutely. Steve uh, is not joining us tonight. Sorry, Steve. I uh, hope you're having a, a good time, and uh, unfortunately, I know you, you really wanted to talk about the 75th uh, anniversary comic, and, and you know, to get straight into it, that's what we're talking about. Um, so I hope everything's going all right for you, Steve, and uh, we'll join you on the next podcast. Look, as I said, we are the Chronicle Chamber team, and our website is chroniclechamber.com, um, and you can subscribe to this podcast via YouTube or Spotify or your iTunes or, or however you're listening to this, whatever your podcast app is. Don't forget to give us a rating on that podcast if you can, um, and tell a mate about us as well. Um, this is episode 260, and one I've been looking forward to ever since I heard that this was uh, a thing uh, or, or realised that the uh, 75th year of fruit was coming and uh, we were getting a 75th anniversary comic. And uh, tonight we're going to review that comic. It's fruit issue 1952. It's a, it's a bumper issue, 180 pages. Uh, it's full colour, which is really exciting. We haven't had um, – I don't think we've had – in the regular series, a, a colour comic as long as that. Um, trade paperbacks, of course, but uh, regular series, not sure. And look, this is worthy of a podcast all in its own germ, and that was never never in doubt. We weren't going to try and shoehorn this into a comics and news. We want to talk about this comic as a standalone, don't we? Yeah, exactly. Um, look, our comics and news are long enough when we're reviewing two or three <laughs> uh, 36-page uh, free comics. Can you imagine if we try to fit that in? Um, <laughs> <laughs> not a chance, not a chance. Now, we promise we're not going to go too long while we talk about this little ripper. Um, but, well, we, did, we we promised lots of things. Anyway, we'll try and keep it as punchy as we can. We've said that, punchy, snappy, let's let's rip through it. Um, but, of course, I am talking about, as I said, Fru Issue seven, uh, 1952, the 75th anniversary um, comic. Germ, what was your first reaction when you... Not not when you saw the the cover image because we had some um, little previews, but your first reaction when you picked up a hard copy of this, what was what? How'd you go? It stood out on the newsagent shelf. I and I know you did as well. Our subscriber copies did not arrive in time, and we didn't want to wait, uh, even <laughs> if it meant we had to fork out twenty five dollars. But it stood out like I walked down the aisle and bam, it smacked me in, in the eyes, in the face, and it's like it's there. You know, I didn't yep. have to look to see if it was there. Like, you know, like normally when you go buy a comic, you go, oh, is it there? Yes, no, straight away. It was bright purple, bright red with the with the top mask bit, you know, across the fold. This is what sticks out on the shelf. Yep. Um, you know, it's schools right there. And, yeah, and it, when I picked it up, it's like, oh, this is not this, – this is thick. The cover's thick. Uh, the paper – look, the paper's not glossy paper. But the paper's thick. It weighs, you know, it, it's a good, it's got a good weight to it. Um, yep. got a nice little shine to the cover as well. Your pizza or your pasta sauce that drips on the front cover will, will wipe straight off, which which will be good. 
you're reading copy, not you're collecting copy, because you're right. No, I also to, I went to the, my subscriber copy. It did arrive on time, but the day that it was due, there were messages going around that oh, mine didn't arrive, and so I panicked and bought one on the way home just in case. And it was waiting for me when I got home. So, uh, so not all subscribers were left hanging. Um, it's a really good point you make about the 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 way it would sit on a shelf. There's been a bit of criticism I've seen about the big seventy five in the background there, but sitting on a shelf. If you don't see that, it's a, it's a really good point you make. When I went to the uh, the news agent myself, um, my news agents has sitting flat on a shelf, not up like that. Um, this was the I went in at five twenty five just before it shut, and uh, this was the only copy that was uh, sitting on the shelf. And when I bought it. Um, I said, hey, is, is that the last copy? Do you have others at the back? And uh, it was interesting, the the news agent, who was the owner, said, no, um, it was the last copy and uh, they'd sold out in, in the day that it arrived. She'd been really worried that morning because so many of them had turned up and she was it was a bigger book and, and a bigger price and, and uh, $25 sticker price, you've already said, um, is not cheap for a, a regular comic and she was really worried. But they'd all gone and she rang up the other branch in town her other store in town um they had been delivered 12 copies that morning and were already sold out as well so um that's a, a little retail story from toowoomba uh, turns out the the phantom must be pretty hot property still um she actually asked has that been advertised or something because she didn't know anything about it but it had flown off the shelves so um whatever whatever advertising got out there which was i guess the preview in the message from the publisher um in the previous one as much as anything um seems to have, have done the trick in, in my neck of the woods anyway yeah yeah look uh i got there pretty early i think i got there at about 8:39 local time um so there was still plenty of copies there but they did ha they did order extra copies and normally they only order two or three copies of every of every issue but there was about five six you know maybe 10 copies there so yeah. i don't know um i know news agents do get well i know they used to they used to get like a like a little previews magazine so i'm not sure if there was a, a note in there or, or anything like that i don't think so with news agents these days mm. i think they just um have a pretty standing order from the the is gordon gotch still doing these i've never even uh it's a different name but it's the same company as gordon gotch but they've got like a, a new name which is called uh r direct yeah, are right. direct so it's the oh, yeah. it's the it's the same company that's been renamed because i saw that once and i thought oh that's something yeah. different okay so so obviously we've got the stories right we do want to go through the stories but we're just going to kind of go over it as a bit of an overview i guess at the first so before we do that can i ask you and it feeds into the mm -hmm. overview but we talk about the cover the last phantom comic that was like this anniversary like that that i can recall and this is a question without notice this is not on the run sheet i'm, I'm just throwing this up at germ for the first time we were really excited at the 80th anniversary um phantom uh issue 1763 and uh, very simple cover in a sense in the same in in the vein of it's just a, a phantom at the front and then the number on the thing um one of the things i distinctly remember at this about is being really excited about the embossing i know some people and i said before um about being a little bit disappointed with how simple the cover was or whatever would it have helped if there'd been some embossing on there would that have fixed the problem do you reckon or are, um, are you with this cover exactly as it stands well i'm happy with the cover i think glenn could have done a, a better cover 
to be you know truthfully honest, like I think he could have done Portal. something really really nice Lumsden, or yeah, and yeah Glenn Portal. Lumsden. Um, yep. but I think the cover does its job. Like the big, you know, the big 75th, the big 75, the heroic uh, image of the Phantom. Um, it does its job. Yeah, it could have been embossed, but I would have, ra- I would rather a non-embossed cover and it being full color than it being yep. embossed and half color and half black and white, which that uh, that other comic which you uh, raised was. What if you had to remove one Dean Rankin story, which were both quite short? <laughs> what, to, <laughs> get it, to get it embossed? Get it embossed, but it's four sh- four pages shorter. Uh, I look with the and um, with the limited knowledge I know about um, printing costs, it would have been it would have been especially now because it's it's definitely gone up a lot more. It wouldn't have been four pages. It would have been. You know, it might have been say, I don't a know, full, a full, a full, yeah, like maybe one fifty pages, <clears throat> one forty, one twenty, yeah. and I just think one eighty is a nice thick size. It's yeah. you know, it's not a hundred page special. So look, I didn't miss the embossing. Yeah, the embossing was nice. I remember when we did the review of that. You know, Stephen spent about the whole time just you know feeling Stroking the phantom the with his finger. <laughs> um, but look, I look. For me, there was, you know, the bossing wasn't wasn't my wasn't an issue for me. The other thing, um, the other thing, and we talk about the package, and we'll move to that question you were asking about the whole package of this comic. Um, the other thing I found when I dug out um, seventeen sixty three, the eightieth anniversary, was it came with this card. I'd forgotten about that. Um, it was in the plastic uh, in the plastic covering with uh, with a little bonus. Should the seventy fifth have come with a bookmark or a card or a, or something like that as a little bonus? Do you reckon? Um, yeah. To be honest, yeah, it could have. But if you want to do that, you would have to. Unless if it was a poster which is attached, it w- which you probably can't do because this is a actually got a spine and it doesn't have yep. staples. Um, it would have to be plastic shrink wrapped, which. Again, costs extra money. You know, if you were to do that, would you then have to sacrifice the color? I mm. think, I think the color is a big thing here because not only not only does it make it appealing and it makes it a big deal. You know, it's 180 pages, full color, and all that. It also makes it collectible for a lot of other fans from around the world as well. Yep. Um, especially the Indian market, we know that color is a huge draw card for the Indians. Um, so look, I'm, I'm happy. Yeah. All those things could have been good. You know, maybe they could have, I think it was one Oh three, two, where they did the poster with a little serrated edge through issue one Oh three, two. So maybe you could have done that. Or family uh, portrait. We're, we're, we're Nick pitting a little bit. Oh, Hundred percent agree. Just thought I'd throw it out there because I remembered about uh, the embossing on, on that old comic, and then found the card. I'm, I'm with you. I think this is a great package. Um, and actually, out of just out of interest, that was twenty dollars back in the back in the day for uh, two hundred and twelve pages, but only some of them um, red and white, uh, and and one story color and a little card. And at the end of the day, I'm with you. I'd rather have the whole story, the whole comic, in full color, and uh, and cheer bunch of really interesting stories and we need to get into into the, yep. the concept of it. 
what did what did you think about the fact that there was no reprints? There's nothing from um, you know past throughs. Um, we just built on we built on with sequels. The concept of only having brand new stories from and uh, all of the artists, all of the authors, all of the creators of this are through crew creators, people that have come on board into through comics since Glenn Ford, Renee White took over with Dudley Hogarth as publisher, obviously. Uh, minus Tony DePaul and Mike Manley. But yeah, okay, yes. Yep, but and that's I, and, and we'll talk about that story. It's, it is yeah. standout because of that reason as much as anything. But I guess the point is, is that majority of them are, yeah, like you said, homegrown in a sense. They might not be Australian, but they're from the Free Crew yes. creative team. I guess you could yep. call it Team Free Crew um, yep. if you want to give it a, <laughs> a cheesy name. But also the fact is that they're all alive. So they're all, you know, it's like if you were doing, you know, if you were doing a Ray Moore story or a Cy Barry story or, you know, or something kind of like that, you know, these are all people that are alive, that are kicking, that are creating stories now. It shows that for, it, it kind of gives me, you know, an impression of where fruit are going is that this is probably where they they are going is they're wanting homegrown new stuff. Uh, it's got the stories are very are giving a nod to the history. You know, mm -hmm. it's very important. Like the first story is the sequel yep. to the first free story, which, which you know, really, really cool which would have yeah, which would have been done by purpose. You know, Dudley would have included yeah. that for that reason. So you know, it, it gives a nod to the history, but then it's like you know, we're not a reprint comic. We are a new Phantom Story comic. We've got new creators. We've got, you know, you've got, um, uh, you know, Flavia, um, Jeremy, who are all youngish in the in the creative, relatively speaking. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in the creative area. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, no, I agree, and I think we'll expand on our thoughts of the collection of stories as we as we work through the stories, and we are of course going to do that one one at a time. Um, you've already talked; we've already both mentioned the the idea of color. Um, I think just to reinforce how good how good is it that all all of the one hundred and eighty pages are in color. Am I right there, Jim? Would that would this be the longest certainly regular? comic through not a trade paperback or anything like that would this be the longest one that's all in color yep. yeah the previous would be the christmas albums which were about i think one of them was about one one yeah 108 or something like that or 116 yeah. or something so that would be yeah obviously i'm in a different financial situation as i was when i was 12 13 14 when basically working at hungry jacks to fund my addiction but <laughs> Me in my situation where I am now, I would much rather spend $25 on an annual like this once a year, you know, on something like this than what, you know, than a annual with reprint stories and, and, right. and stuff like that. But, you know, but you'd like obviously to this be a, so you're saying this be a template, uh, sorry, a template kind of for the, uh, the, the annual that's released each January sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I think 
if you were to do an annual like that, and again, this isn't on the uh, run sheet, we do need to move on pretty quickly, but I would like to see if they were to do something like that. Say, for instance, Shane Foley's story. If it's a sequel or a prequel, you would reprint the original story in colour, remastered, re-digitised and all that type of stuff, as well as yeah. then the sequel. Now, I understand and I agree with the concept of not putting the Slaver's story in this comic. In this, this particular if, comic? But if it was, say, an annual, hmm. you know, you could do put the original in and then the prequel or the sequel. And, and I also think it's good for a newer creator to be able to create stories like that because you're giving them a stricter framework or sandbox to be able to create in as well, which then helps them to be able to learn and create in the Lee Fork universe a little bit better. I want to go over some of the feedback that we've, re- that oh, yes, that of we've actually received from... Um, uh, what do you call it from from sure. from you the fans the fans now when we um when we posted this news as well as we've also done a little quick one minute flick through on our Facebook Instagram and Twitter we've received some feedback and some comments from fans so we'll just quickly go over them. this podcast is for the fans as much as it is for us. So, you know, so we've got uh, Roy Viola, you know, looks awesome. I can't wait. Ivan Pedersen looks very nice. My only, you know, and then he raises an issue about the fruit paper, which we will get into. To be fair, Ivan Pedersen coloured some of these stories and so has a vested interest in what it's looking like printed on the uh, the paper that fruit do. Um, and, yes. and we'll talk about that as we work through the, the colour issues of the stories. You got Sanjay, thanks, Fru, for this wonderful surprise, you know, and then he talks about how hopefully, you know, we can see, you know, a continue of the rest of the year celebrating the celebration, maybe some other surprises, and then Thomas um, is just saying he just wants to get it. Simon Brown, sweet, that looks awesome, can't wait for it to be released. Harmony Gates, uh, full colour, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. The constant, then he talks about the constant appearance of Julie Walker in these non-fork stories makes me wonder why she wouldn't have become part of the mythology. Uh, Phantom can become two people. Phantom can appear as a woman, i.e. as an old jungle saying. What I would say to that is the there is an old jungle saying, uh, Phantom takes many forms, and that's the one that I've always thought would apply whether um, the Phantom appears as Julie or as Devil as he has sometimes or, or whatever. So, yeah, let, let's. I reckon it's it, it's yep. there um, if you want to access it. In one of the stories that we reviewed recently, uh, I think it was one of the 22nd Phantom stories, actually, by Clace Ramufi and Janice Auden. They, when Kit and Heloise are fighting side by side, they actually talk about how the Phantom can merge from male to female and stuff. So, But anyway, uh, Bradley Kelly uh, talks about how he enjoys Ivan Rodriguez's art. Biswaji Roy um, talks again about the colour and the paper, which is a bit of a common theme here, um, which, again, we will talk about. you got David Griffin. Uh, Fru's 75th edition is a nice package, like the Ivan Rodriguez art, two sequel stories and the Vietnam story the best. Um, Dean Draper, got mine, loved it. Uh, he talked about one of the stories that he wasn't completely sold on, 
Uh, and then he talked about what was his favourite story, which was the sequel to number one. Ivan Pedersen has talked about that. He is pretty sure that he will colour some all of Shane Foley's stories, so I think that's that's uh, a bit exciting to hear as well. And then one person made mention that when we did the flick through on the video that it seemed like nice, thick paper. Uh, and then you've got Jenny Mooney, who was a little bit disappointed. Uh, she didn't like the concept of having part stories in the comic, where we kind of said that it's probably forces you to then buy the next issue so you can read the completed story. So there's that as well. Uh, Mycroft was a, was amazed at 180 pages, wonderful way to spend an afternoon. Joey Pajamas, which is Joe Douglas, uh, look, said it looks awesome and that he hopes uh, that he that free continue to deliver the best Phantom comics in years. Um, another question about the colour, common thread, and then there's a couple of others as well. So, look, make sure you always share your fan input and we will share it on our reviews as well. But um, anything you want to kind of add to that or should we get into the stories? Oh, look, I guess if, you, if you're talking about input that people have written in, um, do have a good read of the message from the publisher from Dougie, Dudley Hogarth. He um, talks about the the process of putting it together and uh, how much he enjoys the join, enjoys all of it. And a little uh, shout-out to people who want to um, get their mug of, uh, featuring in one of these free comics. Um, I don't know Bob Badger myself, but apparently he is in The Slavers, The Women and The Bogeyman, which is the first first comic world review germ I, I gather he's from perth is what i've heard so you probably bump into him at lunch don't you <laughs> yeah yeah it's that small there's only like 20 people right there <laughs> to be honest i'm not even 100 sure which one is bob or maybe he's one of the guards or maybe he's even the guy who um if i had to oh. guess he's probably the guy who drugged uh the phantom it's obviously the same thing i thought he might have been the pilot um Look, let's let's talk about that story. Um, I really like the way it's introduced in terms of the uh, the snapshot, and because of the the change from landscape to portrait style, it fits really well to have that at the top of the screen there, as James sharing. Um, at the bottom, we get the original artwork from Wilson McCoy, along with the um, um, just a quick summary of the characters. So you don't actually have to go back and reread through number one or, or one of the replicas or reprints um, to to catch up on the story. Those five panels, talking about those five characters, I think really brings you up to speed in a way that lets you access this story immediately. Did you did you have the same experience? Completely, yeah, completely agree. It was Ray Moore, not Wilson McCoy, but um, sorry, yes, but, yeah, <laughs> um, but yes, no, completely agree. It was a great recap, one page. Um, you felt like, you know, when I read that, I was like, oh, I don't need to read the story; I can get straight back into it. I mean, yeah, especially for those of us who did not come in late, we've read this story a number of times, you just immediately go back into that. I'd be interested to know if that was enough for um, someone who did, you know, come back to the fandom recently or hasn't read The Slavers, obviously, in the past. Um, I suspect it would still work as a standalone story with that yeah. um introduction to the characters. Um, so the story itself... Um, you yeah, if, look, if I had to if I had to be picky with the intro, it would have been nice if they included the free comics of the slave traders. So then that way, if you are a newbie, 
you could at least dig out that issue or something like that. But look, hey, we're I'm nitpicking here, so yeah, for sure. Just go to Phantom Wiki, mate. That's all there. So, <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Um, the I really enjoyed this story. You you've already said that you you liked it. Um, do you want to tell us why? One of the things that 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 really grabbed my attention was with this was how good the coloring worked up in this story. Now. In every issue, I'm going to be mentioning colour. Now, the reason I'm mentioning colour is because as we went through the social media, every second or third comment was asking about the colour. So it's a big deal to a lot of fans out there, colour. So I think what works well in here is the colours that Ivan used. It worked well on this paper. Um, so that was a great point. The, the the artwork that he was colouring lent itself, and, and I know you'll flick through this as we talk, but um, on these opening pages and as we go, there's a lot of open spaces in Shane Foley's art for colour yep. to to spread out, if you like, and it doesn't need to yep. um, jump on top of each other. And I'm sure, as, as you alluded to, we'll talk about this in other stories, but this uh, Shane Foley's art is really open and clean and gives colour the opportunity to work. Yeah. Now, I'm going to go as far as to say that this may be easily the top three, top five best prequel, sequel, team, yeah. free crew stories that have been created by them. What makes you say that? I just think, one, it works as a standalone story. Yes. it's It actually adds something to the story. Yes. Um, you know, it, it, it doesn't try and, like, I liked how the fact that the Sand Hermit doesn't get the girl at the end. You know, it, it's, you know, maybe it's because I've watched too many romantic movies with my wife, <laughs> but it doesn't try to tie up the story. I feel like sometimes with these prequels and sequel stories that the Free Crew have created is that they almost try and tie up the loose ends where this doesn't actually tie up the loose end. And I just like that. Yep. And and we should say right from the, we should have said right from the beginning, spoilers left, right and centre. Read the, if, if we're going to talk about the the full story. Um, if you, if you want to um, ex, enjoy, explore the stories for yourself, read it first and then come back to the podcast. Um, because we do want to be able to talk about the way that the, the stories are structured and stuff. And I agree with you. The fact that, um, it, well, it ties up a lot of loose ends. It leaves the sand hermit in the same situation really that we had him at the end of the slave traders and so that works perfectly for that character um sews up other loose threads and, and tells us so much more about him which i love but leaves him in the same place yeah look this action this fight scene here on um oh, is that page 25 yeah yeah, yeah i noted too. yeah so that's great i like the whole full circle of the whole ant you know, being stuffed in the anthill with Ali and all that. And then the other thing, like I said about how it ties the story, is I liked how Ali is Egyptian and then that's how the Phantom ends up in Alexandria, which is the place Period. of the next Phantom adventure in that was printed in the newspapers back when, this, when the original story was originally printed in newspapers so you know it, it got the phantom from the desert to egypt oh and yeah he had yeah. a you know he had a little bit of um a little bit of fun in between it and yeah so i like that as well 
Agreed. Uh, because in that sense, it's not just a sequel to The Slave Traders. It's also the prequel to Mysterious Girl. So, um, yeah, he, he's done really, really well, Shane. He's, he's cleverly looked at where the fandom starts and finishes um, for for this little narrative. Yeah, and, like, you were talking about the empty spaces. Like, like look at these three panels here, you know, where you've really – it really shows the empty panels. Now, obviously, you're in a desert, which is a lot easier to draw empty panels than, say, the jungle. Uh, but, you know, it, it it does do it really, really good there. And I, and I don't want anyone to, to hear that and think of it as in Shane Foley has not done any drawing. He absolutely has. He just leaves a lot of space in each panel, um, which in black and white, you know, it works as well. But I just think the way – because if, if this story was just black and white, it might – no, it, it might look a little empty in places. I just think the colour – he's just left room for the colour to work. I think that's what I said earlier. And yep. – and, uh, just is so well done by um, the colorist to to use that in a way that adds so much. Completely agree. The the Sand Hermit's um, past wife. Where you, I know you enjoyed the way that was left. Did enjoy, enjoy getting to that and bringing the Sand Hermit back into uh, Phantom Mythology because he's a, I for mine he's a really interesting character. Shane's explored him really well, um, and just was left on tenterhooks for. 85 or 75 years at least since we first saw him in a true story. Really liked it. Very happy with the story. Um, can't complain. It's like a set ball. I think it's one of the better uh, fork prequels, sequels from the Team Fro crew. 100%. All right. Let's move on then to the second story, which is, um, I guess, uh, well, it's just come straight into a much more modern-looking comic, um, which was an interesting snap break from, you know, something that uh, Shane Foley did, and he did replicate Ray Moore's art pretty well. It was certainly in that same vein. And then suddenly we're in we're a very modern story, the one uh, called The Sing Pirates, written by Andreas Ericsson, with art by Ivan Rodriguez, who's a very dynamic artist, started with Fru as a cover artist and now is getting um, increasing numbers of stories of internal art. The splash page that you've got on the screen there, Germ, is um, was just so vibrant when it, when you turn the page and see that there, and suddenly you're into pages that um, have colour right to the edge of the page. Mm. Um, and uh, there's a the term bleeding or something that I'm not entirely across. Just a very different style of story. Turn the page from uh, 33 to 34, and it's a world of difference. Probably going to offend a lot of people that I actually classes friends who are phantom creators but my three favorite interior phantom current artists are ivan rodriguez janice Auden, and daniel picciato and i really really rate ivan's work and this is good this is this some of the artwork in this is amazing you know if you're if you're listening to this in audio and you haven't got this comic yet Jump onto YouTube and have a bit of a squiz at what we're uh, what we're looking at because you you know you will see it because forty nine I think is a sensational. Um, I I don't know that I agree with you that Ivan would be one of my top three, but I do really enjoy him as an artist. Yeah, back one. Um, this montage of Kit and Julie fighting together. That's it. On the right-hand side of your screen, if you're watching on YouTube, what have we got there? 
15 phantoms fighting against pirates and mm. stuff all in in one montage page not a not a, a straight line to be seen not a panel but you can follow the fight around the page and it's just such a dynamic that that would be I mean how good would that be to own the original of that page to have up on your wall I'm not sure if he actually does originals uh, original traditional pen but yeah you're right if if he did that would be the page that yeah. would be the page because it's that's what oh. um even the one even the one afterward as well um with the dive from the home yeah yep. and it's worth making mention that this dive sequence was actually in a kitten Heloise story um i think it was this called kit, yeah where kit uh kit goes home or goodbye to the deep woods or something like that if you're on youtube i'll we'll, we'll include the panel sequence of this but um it's a nice touch of what andreas included a something from the daily story of a mention of you know this is what they did so it's not beyond the you know it's believable to be able to think that back a hundred years the same kids of the phantom who are also twins did the same thing and that was you know jump off that ledge it's the sort of thing those those two panels at the top of page 51 there they could appear on the um you know comic swipes dot uh, facebook page or whatever but um not in any sort of negative way it's absolutely mm. done by Ivan as a homage to at, at the author's instruction at Andreas's instruction to um to pay homage to the original story as you said um uh, yeah and and bring the the phantom worlds together and explain how they're this good for mine the the male phantoms probably a little bit thick set and the female phantoms are probably a little bit over endowed in the chest area as well to be honest if i'm going to be super critical of the art but again if we're talking about a story in the package of the 75th anniversary comic um i think it really stands up it's um it, it it's a classic sing pirates it's got your female bad guy as the um female bad guy the, the bad girl is is someone who you, you've got to feel some sympathy for as well because she was forced to become a sing pirate then just found she was really good at it um became an unknown commander i really like the crack about the unknown commander uh what yeah that was that was clever page 55 uh, you know she's an unknown commander of her league of the sing pirates and um the yeah page the comment, 42 the guy goes, I still think it's a dumb idea to have an unknown commander. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, there it is. And then on page 55, it's what do you think about this unknown commander? Any connection to our own one? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and I love the the, the reply. Hey, for all I know, Colonel, the young lady who wrote off could have been our unknown commander. And she kind of is because she's a fan of. So it's yeah. it's really clever writing from Andreas. And, and we've said this before about him and his and his um writing. It's so clear that he knows the fan of inside and out. So yeah. um love love those little things that that pop out. They're the sort of things that give you a little giggle. We talked about colour, so that, so my personal opinion with the colour in this is that some pages don't work when it comes to colour, and they would be on page thirty-four, the top two panels. Now on the on the yeah. scan, which you will see on YouTube, it actually works, but it's in a the lot comic, clearer in the scan than it is on the page. 
Yeah, it doesn't work as good. And this is probably on, on a whole is majority of the color works really, really well, but there's just the odd page or the odd panel where the coloring is a little bit dark. There's a little bit too many blues and yep. it kind of gets a little bit muddy. But that's where, say, someone like uh, what Ivan did, which is very I think this simple of style. Yeah, but then that's the point. This colouring is right for this artwork, for this story. Yes. It's it's on these pages, the paper stock lets it down. Yes. Would you have been prepared to pay $30 for the book instead of $25 to get the better quality paper? That's probably what we're talking. Um, yes. That is, that is another considerable jump, you know, um, and we're yeah, in price. It is. 25 is expensive already. I know some people are going to look at, like, the four or five pages where it, the colour doesn't work and they're going to blast the whole comic. I think that's unfair and I think that's unjustified and I think you are being overtly negative for the sake of being negative. It's only a couple of pages where it doesn't work. Majority of the colouring does work. There's a yep. story later on which I will talk about. Now, there's another thing that I'm a little bit unsure about when it comes to a point with the colouring, and that is this lady, the female pirate, as being a redhead and also Julie being a redhead. I've Julie's actually blonde, so that's a mistake. But then I was reading the story, and maybe I'm just reading too much into this, but it talks about how she was, uh, you know, a raider came to my village. And, you know, we're in Africa, right? We're not in Europe. We're in Africa. How many light-skinned, red-headed women are in villages in Africa in the, you know, 17, 1800s? The, what she was saying and the, and the way she was coloured didn't really gel with me. So I'm not sure whether I picked it up and then maybe Julie didn't pick it up quick enough that, hang on, this doesn't make sense, or maybe the colouring was a little bit wrong in that instance. Oh, right, I see what you're saying. Yeah, look, and, and I didn't notice that Julie was a redhead herself until, well, I think the last two pages is the only time she's got her hair outside the cow. Um, and, look, while, while I talk about those last two pages, I actually really enjoyed um, seeing a resolution um, we have a lot of fandom comics these days, and it's to do with shorter pages that finish on the climax. So you get one panel to sort of summarise after the story. We got two full pages of, oh, we're home and and let's reflect and and then have a big family moment. Um, and that's I know people can be critical of that in in Lee Fork stories in particular, but that's one of the things I really enjoyed about Lee Fork mm. stories. I think is that the mm. first as they came out in a comic book, the first couple of pages were. Um, the fandom at home, reading chronicles, whatever you get, that picture of family life, and then the last page or two again was that that resolution out of the story. Um, and with the shorter page lengths in a lot of stories now, we don't get those those moments. And um, I really I really liked that Andreas had uh, had written that into this particular story. Completely agree. I love the full pages from Ivan as well. Uh, making mention of these pages, which we're talking about fifty six and fifty seven, is. This looks like it's the first time that this phantom actually talked about the Pirate Queen. Now, yeah. the Pirate Queen gets mentioned a fair bit on this podcast. Uh, I think we're all kind of fans of her, all that story arc. In the story arc of the Pirate Queen, 
Uh, at the death of this phantom, Julie says, oh, I know about you to the pirate queen. And she's like, oh, you, you know about me. And, and so, you know, maybe this is the example of, you know, hey, look, you know, we've all we've all changed, put on the mask. Here's an example. And so, you know, brothers and sisters, especially twins, are gen- generally are a little bit closer. So I like that little touch as well by Andreas. I think that speaks to how well he knows the character, not just the folk stories, but also, well, all of the rest of them um, and, and tying them all together. It's cleverly done, which makes me wonder, um, can you flick back to page 52 for me? Because this is something that he's uh, clicked into that we've talked about before. Um and that is when Julie says, no, I'm going to go and take care of um, the the big bad, if you like, and she passes over the ring. She takes the skull ring off Kit, puts it on her own finger. There we are on the bottom left of the, the screen you've got up on YouTube. She takes the skull ring off Kit, puts it on her own finger because I'm about to go and skull mark somebody. Interesting that they're sharing the ring rather than have one each, which we've we've speculated about that before. Yeah, well, maybe Andreas should have listened to us before and then, um, uh, you know. You, I like what he's done. (laughs) The fact that there's a double skull ring going out there. (laughs) Look, I I did actually like that. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe our kitten Heloise are a little bit smarter than uh, kitten uh, Julie. They remembered. They remembered reading the story about the four fans who were creating a replica skull ring, and then they. That's why they're using that. <laughs> Look, it does raise the question: Is this a bit of a template for Twenty Second Phantom stories? Because I really like the way in this whole story, Kit and Julie work together. Um, it starts with Julie being the Phantom in a city because Kit's elsewhere. Um, Kit, hap- you know, it's a bit coincidental and they find each other really easily in the big city once Kit arrives sort of thing, but they've both had their parts to the adventure. Then they come together, they work together, um, they they split apart again to take care of their own parts of the adventure and then the whole thing, you know, it ends with two phantoms working together. Harmony in the social media has talked about, you know, should there be old jungle sayings about this sort of behaviour? Um, I, I reckon this is how the 22nd Phantom uh, could be told these with these constant back and forth sharing crossover stories. All right, well, listeners, we are on social media. We're on YouTube. Give us your thoughts about that idea from Dan. We'll leave that question there. And we'll leave that in the ether, and we will look forward to listening what the fans think about that. Be fair. I think that question has been posed by Andreas, not by me. So I'm just I'm just picking up on what he's putting down. Um, it does bring us though to the next story, which is Ghosts of Ship Past. Ships Past. I'm holding up the um, the splash page there, but it actually starts with a little uh, prequel um, or prologue, if you like. Um, before that, um, this is a fascinating story for mine. Um, written by Andrew Constant, um, drawn, coloured and lettered by Jason Palos. He's the man's a machine, we know that. Um, what did you think of Ghosts of Ship's past, Jim? Um, can I use a joke that we've already used today, and that is that it's Cleaver? Um <laughs> <Very> Cleaver story. <laughs> in in this story, it seems like Jason Paulos had a lot of fun drawing this story. It seems like Andre- 
uh, Andrew Constant, sorry, I was about to call him Andreas. Um, Andrew Constant had a lot of fun as well. Obviously, the big reveal, again, we are going to spoil this for people who haven't listened to it, um, is that there is a return of a bad guy. Now, I did not personally rate this bad person in the original story that she appeared in, but I liked her after I've read this first part. Yeah. And, and look, we should, we must give credit where credit's due. Stephen actually um, uh, speculated probably three or four weeks ago um, in our in our chat online that uh, Captain Cleaver was at some point going to make a reappearance. So I don't know if he had some inside word, but I think Captain- he had inside word. But we'll give him a little bit of credit. Yeah, yeah. Now, for those who came in late or, or just for whatever reason did not read the Kid Phantom series, Captain Cleaver. And this is what I was saying about how interesting it is. It really brings Kid Phantom into um, the rest of the Phantom universe, doesn't it? Because we've uh, we've got this, you know, 75th anniversary. Very, uh, it's going to be a very widely read book, Um, and a, a character from the Kid Phantom comic books comes back, Captain Cleaver comes back as Commander Cleaver into uh, in, into this story. I think both of them written by Andrew Constant, if I remember rightly. Did Andrew write Yes, yes. Yeah. So it's clearly a character that he likes and, and why not? Because, um, yeah, I'll be interested to hear what you say because um, you said that you didn't really like her in the Kid Phantom book, but now what you do in, in the Ghosts of Ships Past, the way she's come back? I don't really know how to explain it, but she didn't really, she didn't capture me as a character that I would have liked to seen more from in the original Kid Phantom story. But in this one, now that she's got a son and, you know, she's trying to build the empire, you've got the legacy bad people. I don't know. To me, there just seems to be more about her that I like. It probably doesn't make sense, but. I th- yeah, I personally like her better. Well, I think by virtue of the genre, like Kid Phantom is was deliberately aimed at younger readers, so the characters are shallower. There's a bit more depth to her now. Um, I really like the black and white page sequences. We talk about this whole book being in colour, but the, the two you're just flicking over there, page 75 and 76, are the black and white pages, if you like, um, probably grayscale. Um, and they are um, Jason Paulos's take on Paul Mason's version of the artwork, um, the the dream sequence or the flashback sequence, if you like, of when Kid Phantom, um, you know, defeated Captain Cleaver in the first instance. And it's, I, I just really enjoyed seeing the his take on it, and the and and I haven't gone back to Kid Phantom. I probably should the, the issue three to have a look at the um, sequence there. But um, I just really enjoyed that that going back to it and bringing that character into the the this new realm of the Phantom. Mm, mm. Now the reason, yeah, one of the reasons why I'm kind of hovering around this area here is. We talked about in the last story the night scene with the blues and it was a bit muddy and a bit hard to read. This area here where the Phantom is going below deck, so we're talking about, you know, page 71, 72, 73, and then the grayscale, which is 75, 76. I actually feel like the colour, and and I'm assuming, and I would like to give credit to Jason, that he's worked a lot more on this paper stock than probably what daniel jr has so he almost knows how to color 
for this paper stock. And I also believe that probably Ivan has learned a lot as well when he's done his previous colouring on how to do a colour on this paper stock. Um, and so I think I think their colours, while might not be as dynamic as, say, someone like a Daniel Jr., I think has worked well because it, it works on this paper stock. Yep. If, no, that does, that makes complete sense because particularly as you flick through, they're quite deliberate in the broad colours they use. There's not the the finer finer grained colours which would work better on the on the higher quality paper, the heavier paper, the more expensive paper. At the end of the day, yeah. Now we'll quickly talk about the cliffhanger. Obviously. Yes. Now, me personally, I do not know anything. I'm going to declare that. I reckon the fan, one of the reasons why the Phantom is not freaking out and all that is because this one here on page where he's looking down at the sharks, which is page 79, I yeah. reckon there's a dolphin in there and that's why he's not freaking out because he knows that there's Solomon or Neferity or, or something like that is there and that's how he's going to be rescued. Now, yeah. Well, just the just the the commentary there. It looks like you're about to make some new friends. I can see that this area is famous for them. I think they're famous to him. Captain Commander Cleaver may not know which friends she's talking about, but he certainly does. Yeah. So I, I that's yeah. how I think he's going to get out of it. Now I'm asking you this question because this was a question raised by one of our social media commenters. I think it was Jenny Mooney. Do you like the idea that this comic has? part stories so i.e part one of this story is yeah. in this comic and then we're going to get a part two in a future comic do you like that idea or would have you rather seen the whole story i have no problem with it because of course i am a loyal subscriber and a dedicated reader i do a podcast talking about <laughs> phantom comics so i'm going to get the next one i'm going to see part two of the story so it's no problem for me at all um there are going to be people who pick this up for the first time the first time they picked up a fan when i when i left the news agent i told that story earlier not gonna lie it was a, a friday night I, no it wasn't it was a thursday night i still went next door to the bottle shop and uh when i grabbed a six pack of beer i put my phantom comic down on the uh, at the counter of the bottle shop to pay for it uh to you know to get my wallet out whatever um and i had i had the back cover down we didn't talk about the back cover but i had the back cover facing up and um the attendant has um, looked at that and gone, is that a Phantom comic? Do they still make those? And uh, I turned it over and, oh, yeah, it's the 75th. Um, my point being, if, if you were going to go, oh, geez, I better go into the shop and then get one of these special editions, um, are you going to want to read a part one and think, oh, now I'm compelled to buy a part two? Who knows? Um, but if you like one or both of the stories enough to go, I reckon I will get the next episode because I want to see how this ends, you may drag a few extra readers in. I think it's a clever marketing mm. tactic. I have no problem with it. If you're just a casual reader and are not going to pick up the next comic anyway, then, you know, well, it's a serial. You know, you, you don't read the the Monday after the Saturday. You you start to fall behind on the daily. That's that's what Phantom Comics are like. So, um, I think it's I think it's fine. If Jenny is upset, go and buy the next issue so you can catch up on the rest of the story and get a subscription. Now, did you tell that story just because like you were hoping that seeing you had a comic that might ask you for ID? 
<laughs> it's been decades since that happened. Uh, no, I realised that was a really long-winded answer. To very simple question. Sorry, Jim. That's not going to help us finish it now. Oh, come on, let's get snappy. Let's move on. Undergrowth. <laughs> Undergrowth is the is the next story uh, written by Dean Rankin, um, artist back to Ivan Rodriguez, who you've loved. Um, with a, with another colorist, a different one, Kerala Torella Pablo, which I'm going to be upfront, I've never heard of. Um, sweet little four page Dean Rankin story. That's pretty much the stories that he delivers. What did you think of this? I really liked it. I've said before, new creators should be given these, four, you know, four, six, eight, ten page stories as their testing ground. Dean Rankin has produced, what, three of these now? I now go, okay, he knows enough about The Phantom that I will trust him with a 22-page story. And I know that there are Australian creators and other creators who want to create comics. I've said it before and I'll say it again. These are perfect examples that if you want to create Phantom stories for Team for team Fru, Crew, these are the type of stories you need to create. Create some little short, snappy two, four, six, eight-page stories that show you get and understand the Phantom. It means you can work within a time restraint, within a budget, within uh, pages, and then when you can do a good story and when you've got a couple behind you, then us fans can trust you with a full-page story. Interesting. Then I would say to you this is a four-page story. Of the four pages, there's, what, 20 panels? Um, the Phantom appears on two of the pages and in only four of the panels. The the two that you've got open for us do not have the Phantom. There's no reference to the Phantom, really, telling us about the bad guys. It's telling us about the jungle. I really like the misdirection in this story where you think that the bad guys are, you know, they're, they're there lying and waiting. The Phantom's in trouble. The Phantom never even knows he's in trouble. The Phantom, yeah. the story of the Phantom in this, he's going for a ride through the jungle. That's it. Um, all this stuff's happening around him. So mm. it's an interesting point you make. The Dean Rankin knows the Phantom. All he's got is the Phantom going for a ride in the jungle. To write a good Phantom story, it doesn't always have to just be about the Phantom. One of my all-time favourite Phantom stories is called The, um, the Psychopath. It's created by Leonard Moberg and Krista Thunberg, I think it was, uh, late 1990s, 2000s, where it's talking about a guy who was beaten up by a jungle demon and it's talking about from his point of view and he's in a um, so, uh, a psych ward. Mm-hmm. You know, the Phantom's in, the Phantom's obviously the jungle demon, but he's in five, maybe five pages of it and you never actually see the Phantom. You see a silhouette, you see the white little triangles for his eyes and stuff like that, but you're seeing it from his, from the bad guy's perspective, and it's one of my all-time favourite stories. Almost like a sugar hit between some stories or ad break between the heavier stories. Like, we've gone from, you know, the ghost pirates, and then once we finish with this story, we're going to the kiss of the devil and all that. It's almost like, you know, like the trailer before the main event or something like that. I 100% agree with that. It was a it was a nice little story. I, and I don't want anything that I said before to mm. 
in any way be interpreted as a criticism of Dean Rankin because I think I really, really, really like this story. Um, mm. The the introduction for generations, the jungle, the Bengala jungle has been under the protection of the phantom. You come back to that in the conclusion, but you add, and sometimes the jungle protects him back. And you've just, it, it's really cleverly, uh, the narrator uh, uh, bubbles, whatever, um, are written really cleverly, take us through the story, the art, it, supports that so well with the the animals and the um the branch and the quicksand and all that sort of stuff it, it's so well done i this might be my favorite story in the book if i if i'm honest so what did you think of, of page 82 um before we leave it because we're not going to be on this forever it's a four page story page 82 as the uh, as the bad guy disposes of the frog and poison is it poisons himself um the the action or the onomatopoeia is flick did you read that differently because <laughs> i certainly did dudley what have you what have you let through <laughs> <laughs> oh i'd love to hear uh dudley's response to that one uh dudley we're we're expecting a um uh, a comment or an email once you listen to this, I certainly read that very differently. Did you? Did you think that when you first read it, or am I? Uh, no, a school teacher seen too much uh, graffiti, perhaps. Too much graffiti in the toilets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, fair enough. All right, let's move on then to, to the kiss of the devil. Because as much as I like the Dean Rankin story. I'm going to go back on it. This might be my favourite story in the book, The Kiss of the Devil. Uh, Peter Anderson is the uh, the author here. Uh, Giancarlo Caracuzzo, who's, who's becoming an increasing favourite of Fru's, was heavily criticised looking back on it for the trade paperback. He did The Sword of the Caliph was the first time we saw his work with Fru, and a lot of people didn't like his artwork. But um, I don't know about you, Jim, but I'm really starting to warm to his artwork and i think it was really well done in this particular story which again was really well supported by the writing well really well directed by the writing of peter anderson um what are your thoughts before i go into yeah look giancarlo knows how to tell a story he does it in a european way it really reminds me i've read a lot of asterix tintin lucky luke and some other um, uh, european style comics and it has that storytelling which i think works well with peter's work um i like his directions his how uh, giancarlo tells the story i like the style uh obviously he's got his daughter to color his work so you would think and you would hope that they would be able to work well together as well I wonder if this story might have worked better as a graphic novel. What and have the two parts because this is part one of two. Again, we mentioned yeah, that. two parts come together. Do you reckon? Yeah, I just is that just because you've already seen Giancarlo's work as a trade paperback or a graphic novel. I like through producing trade paperbacks, graphic novels. I've said in the past that. I would like to see through doing a graphic novel once or twice a year or, or you know, a trade paperback once a year, maybe do one of each, you know, one releasing one towards Christmas, one towards, uh, you know, uh, supernova time and, and, you know, creating for those events. And I think this story could have worked. Now, I've only read part one, obviously, but I yeah. think it could have worked quite well as a graphic novel. 
Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Like just while you're holding open on that page, ninety four, ninety five is the is the page you've got open for those who aren't watching us on YouTube. Um, we've talked about the color a lot. I actually really like the way that Flavia mm -hmm. has colored this. Um, for not page ninety four is a standalone page. Page ninety five is a standalone page, but we've got the sunset that is happening at the time shown across the bottom of uh, a bottom third of the page across 94 and 95 together with the sun on the far left-hand panel um, working the whole way across the the double spread page it's actually a really clever way of coloring I think to because um, uh, the story doesn't travel that way around the page but the light does and um, yeah I just think that's really cool I really like her work and again her colouring, which we've discussed before, actually works really well in this story. Um, mm. Now, a couple of quick points. I there's there's a couple of moments. There's and there's little... and paper quality. We've sort of said talked around that before, but it's mm. one of those ones where she, that she does understand the paper quality it's coming out on. So yeah, there's enough. we've we've talked before. Like sometimes we like Pitta's humour. Sometimes we think it's a little bit uh, out of place. I think the humorous moments in here actually work quite well. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I like now, I'm not sure if this was intentional or not, but they talk. the boys talk about this really ugly bad guy, right? That's the bit of the joke going on and on. Now, if you are looking at the top of page, what is it? Is it 101? 101? No, 101. Yeah, one oh yeah, one hundred and one the top right corner, the lady actually calls the bad guy McCoy. Now, for those who are phantom nuffies like you and I, McCoy is very well known for drawing really ugly bad guys. And now I'm not sure if I'm just reading too much into this or whether this is a little joke that Peter and Glenn or the editors or or whatever are are doing. But having a really ugly bad guy who's been referenced as a really ugly bad guy named McCoy made me all nice, warm, and fuzzy. So <laughs> if that was a little bit of an inside joke, Peter, I got it and I liked it. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, my thoughts as I was going through this story, actually, what I was drawn to is uh, is was the fact that um, – We've got another femme fatale and a really, a really effectively written femme fatale. Um, so this is the fifth story. As we've said, the fourth story, Dean Rankin didn't really have the phantom in it much at all. So no femme fatale there. Ghost of Ships Past, Kemal de Cleaver, female, um, the big bad, if you like. In the Sing Raiders, the uh, the big bad was a, a female as well. But um I think the kiss of the devil is the one that we would call a genuine femme fatale in that we've got a um, a, a female character who uses her feminine wiles and her sexiness in many ways to to get the better of the people around her. The uh, the the character the, the earlier characters, the earlier female characters were just strong women, whereas this one is a, a strong woman, uh, but she uses her her femininity and her sexiness to as, as part of that. The others did not so much. Um, we, is that something you picked up on that we were suddenly getting a lot of female characters? Probably not as much, but I did like the fact that she was actually the person that rescued McCoy and saved the day with McCoy. So, like, she better the Phantom, not the not the henchman, got twice. Get his second skull mark, yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was reading this, I got a lot of Phantom movie references. 
Billy Zane. You saw Billy Zane um, in the back. I saw of the- a lot of you know getting here, almost getting hit by the taxi driver. It's missing a, which, the fact that he jumped out of the zoo. <laughs> yeah, but so okay, so it's missing that, and then you've got the female villain, Sala. Yep. You know yep. this person, and then you've got what would likely happen when you try and jump onto <laughs> the platoon part of the of the uh, the seaplane is that you would actually fall off. Unlike oh, no, no, no. who was able to hang on to it for several hours. My um, man Billy Zane would just hang on to the bottom of that plane. I don't know what this phantom is. <laughs> no, you're 100 percent right. They're they're strong. Billy Zane Phantom movie vibes in this and uh, it would be fascinating to know if Peter Anderson and he'll probably tell us once he listens to this or watches it on his big screen I think we've seen um, the to, to know if and how much the Phantom movie was um, in his thinking as he was uh, putting this one together or maybe it's a well He's he's directed the traffic, um, and then um, Giancarlo's drawn it. But uh, no, I hundred percent agree with you. There was a lot of Billy Zane Phantom movie vibes in this. Yeah, no, and I don't know. Maybe he's trying to say this is how the story should have been, or something. But look, it was you know I I enjoyed those references. Agreed. Um, I'm looking forward to where part two is going because we've really haven't really actually started the story in a sense like yeah we now know that you know the phantom knows who it is but we haven't learned anything about the submarine we've still got the submarine uh what happens to these kidnapped people and you know what's the reason for it and all that so you know this is part one are we going to get say part two part three part four or is it just going to be a two-parter story we're still really kind of, it feels like yeah. to me, we're still at the start of the story. It's a good point. I had just assumed probably it would be a part two. I've, I have no doubt that um, the action could move quick enough to resolve all of the loose ends. But you're right, when you go through them like that, there is still a lot of loose ends in this. So mm. um, I had probably just figured that it would be a part two and, um, yeah, we, we'd be through it. But, you, yeah, you could be onto something there. Mm. All right, anything else or should we move on to the next one? No, let's move on because speaking of, um, you know, stories that have got part one, two, three, whatever, we're up to Vietnam number eight in our next story, which was the Phantom in Nam number eight, the story called And Our Friends Are All Aboard. I really enjoy singing along to Paul's uh, Paul Mason's uh, story titles. And again, uh, Phantom in Nam is a, is a Paul Mason creation, uh, does the 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 writing and and the artwork and in this instance the colours <clears throat> as well a great splash page which uh, we which we've seen and then um, this this might be one of the ones where the colours are maybe a bit dark at times for the paper stock um, again it's more vibrant in the in the YouTube video so I actually thought that the colours actually work better in this one than in previous issues yeah okay I must ask Paul if he's actually changed the way he's coloured. But it feels like, and maybe it's these yellow boxes on page, you know, 119 that kind of makes it pop in the guy, the fact that the guy looks like he's wearing a white shirt. But it feels like the colours just work better. And I'm not sure whether it's the paper stock or just my imagination or, or, or what. Yeah, you're probably right. I guess on the page, so it's one nineteen. It feels like in the in the comic book I'm holding in my hand, not what we're seeing on the screen. 
um, that a lot of the detail in the in the trees and the building is lost in the in the purple. You can see it pretty yeah. clear, clearly on the page there, but uh, on the screen, but not so much on the page. But then, as I flick through the rest of the story, you're right. It, it's it's not as bad as I'm um, as what I've sort of suggested there. Um, I will say though, Paul. Um, I had to go and get my glasses to read this one because the the narration box are a, a bit smaller than the rest of the book, and I I picked this one up at about 10, 10 o'clock at night as I was going to bed to read myself to sleep, um, and I was up to the Vietnam story, and I was too tired, um, and I didn't have my glasses on me, and I was really struggling. So luckily, the the um, the the art tells the story as much as anything. Um, I struggled with the last page, the the classic files on the um, on the page, uh, didn't wasn't able yeah. to read all those on page one twenty nine um, and get all the in jokes and that sort of stuff there. But the rest of it, I could keep up. <laughs> yeah, on here, page one two seven, you got the bottom left panel, I guess, on page one two seven. It really reminds me. There's a panel in a Don Newton story where yeah, he yeah. has that. Um, it's quite popular. Again, if you're on YouTube, I'll include that so people know what I'm talking about. But that panel reminds me of that Don Newton panel. Um, now, I'm not sure, but this Barry character looks a bit like David Barry, size, size son. Yeah. I'm not sure if it is, but it, there's just a little bit of resemblance there. So I enjoy this story as a real standalone story. I felt like, you know, and I think this was one of our criticisms if if you call it a criticism but sometimes you almost had to know what was going on in the other stories in the past stories to kind of understand what's happening in here but i didn't i i didn't have that feeling i felt like even if i never read a vietnam story before i could easily follow this that's a very fair call. What I liked about this story is uh, we've had a few Nam stories that um, didn't continue the the search for the Wombezi Prince, and I like that this story has taken us a step closer to finding the Wombezi Prince. I'm I'm yeah. not in I'm not in any hurry at all for the the Nam stories to finish. I'm really enjoying them, um, but you do still like to be taking steps in the overall narrative arc. Um, while you still have your little, your, your fun stories about the Marshall sisters being entertainers that had nothing to do with the bigger picture. Um, those are still cool. They're still good. Um, but I do like, you know, the fact that we are still progressing in the in the overall narrative. Yep. Very good point. Yeah, I'm a bloke and who doesn't like a good car chase? Yep. Yep. If it was an action movie, I had to have a car chase, you know, whether it was, you know, and, and look, there's been a million... Fast and Furious as they've made a whole film um, thing on car chases. So it's worked for Fast and Furious. It can work for a uh, for a Phantom story. Absolutely. Righto. The next story is, um, we've mentioned this one already, I'll be interested in your take on this, is To Wreck and Ruin at Gravelines. And it's, the, it's a daily story, um, which... And I should know this, and it's probably in the show notes, which I'm not looking at at the moment, um, in terms of which daily story it was. And, 258. Uh, yeah, 258. Um, and it ran, um, without without knowing the exact dates, it, it must have been about two years ago, 18 months ago, that To Wreck and Ruin at Gravelines ran um, in the dailies. Uh, uh, 20, 2021, uh, 
in uh, May, May it started. May, yeah. May of 2021 it started. So so that is two years ago. And one of the things that jumped out to me straight away, um, it's because I'm still following the daily. Obviously, this is still part of this. You know, I just talked about a story arc mm. with now. This is still part, very much a part of the overall Phantom story arc in the dailies. And a lot of what's happening in the dailies right now, this month, has got references back to this story in 2021. And in fact, um, exact mirror images. It's a it's an interesting time to be reading this as a as a full story. We've talked about this story before in our comics and news podcasts as it unfolded in the newspapers or or on Comics Kingdom. Um, this is our first chance to read it as a complete story. There were certain Certainly panels and days and, and even a week at a time that I would appear to have missed back in 2021. So really good to to catch up on all of those and, and put the whole story together now. Uh, so those are both, that's my initial impressions. Jim, what's what's your initial impression having read this one again now? My, my first question is probably more, does this belong in this issue? Or is it a case of trying to catch up so you're not, two years behind publishing the daily and Sunday stories. So it's a really uh, valid. Mm. Maybe we won't actually answer these questions. We'll get our fans and listeners to answer it for us. But should we also be publishing it part at a time or should we do what Jim Shepard did with the Death of Diana Palmer series where he collected all the stories and published them together as one? Yeah. I guess the challenge with that, and, and, I, and I tend to agree um, that it would be good to have this entire story arc in a, in a single issue, and maybe that's a trade paperback down the track. Um, certainly, we know Hermes Press will do something along those lines when they eventually catch up to to these dates. Um, where do you, where do you start and stop though? Like so many of these panels go back to oh, I see. Uh, the story published from 2010, see the published story from 2015. My uh, Tony DePaul interweaves his stories and continues his, uh, has his continuity stretch for so far. It's it's hard to know when to start and stop. Um, well, I guess the death of Diana Palmer story had a more clear cut start and end. Yeah, I, I do. I do tend to agree. I think we could. I think with not a great deal of work probably, um, you you could find a way to put whatever this story arc, and when it's not finished yet, but, you know, as I just referred to, it's it's current right now as in it's continuing tomorrow and it's in a really exciting point. It would be good, I think, to see those collected. I guess putting it into the 75th anniversary, I kind of like the part two, the part ones we saw before, um, are people going to read this and go? Oh, I, I recognise this as a as a newspaper or a, you know that that daily strip. I'm going to pick up on that, or I'm going to read the next Phantom comic that has this. I, I don't know. It, it just seems a little hidden in a sense that it's tucked towards the back even of this issue. Like you said earlier, it's not one of the Frew Crew artists per se, so it, it is the odd man out if you like in mm. in this book. Um, which raises the question of does it does it work here? I really enjoyed reading it. If if that is yeah. when I read it, it, gave me a more fuller understanding of where we are currently because I've read this this part in a comic book, and that's yeah. why I I feel that this will work better, and I think fans will appreciate it better 
if it does get collected. So yeah, it it could have been collected as a as a, a whole story, but then how long do you wait for it to finish? Um, as I say, good to read it again um, mm. and fill in some blanks. And the timing is pretty cool. Um, Mike Manley's art. We've talked about the color. I think the color that the, they use in the dailies works well enough on um, on this paper stock. Uh, so the colour's really good. It would have been a, a, an easier one for through to add into the into the mix. The query I have around this is like as you raised right from the start. Does it fit in um, in this particular book? Let's just say free gave me the keys. The way I would do it is I would print it in the regular comic the way they are doing. Then maybe having a page of recapping and stuff like that, like they did with the Slaver story at the start of this yeah. comic. And then when it's all finished, then publish it as a trade paperback. Yeah, and 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 pick a good start and finish point. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I did one of the things that's jumped out to me, and, and I know you've got opinions on this, um, Moz as a soothsayer rather than just a keeper of stories, where, where do you stand on him doing that? Well, it's law now. Tony DePaul has written about it enough that it's probably it's established as law. Mm-hmm. Do I like it? No. Do I prefer Old Man Moz as just a storyteller? Yes, but does Moz as a seer make him a better character? Yeah. You would have to say yes. It does. He's yeah. a better character under Tony DePaul than what he is under Lee Fork. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think he's developed and, um, yeah, because then we go, the next story in this is the the Chronicles of Old Man Moz, which is, mm. as I recall, uh, from, from 18 months ago, whenever that story was in the dailies, um, very much about, uh, Moz, well, Moz writing down what he saw and then, using what he wrote as misdirection and you don't know if he's actually saying what he's seeing or is he saying what he wants you to think he's seen and uh, there's a fair mm. bit going on. So mm. it'll be, uh, be interesting to carry on with that one. Um, now, before we quickly move on, and I just said we yeah. need to move on, but I want to stop for a sec, is that we have started to have preliminary discussions with Tony Paul and we've told him that we do want him to get on to talk about this saga. Not sure. We're not sure exactly when, but... <laughs> It is something we are working on and we do want to explore. So, yeah. and, and Tony's been really generous with his time in the past. So when uh, the um, the Phantom and the Nomad or um, Heloise and the Nomad, that, that whole saga came to a conclusion. He's been really generous with his time in the past. of, uh, And I think he really enjoys it, um, the opportunity to go back over stories that he, he wrote over a long period of time, over a long time ago, um, and, and fill us in on some of the... Uh, the things that we might have missed, and uh, I really, I, and the way that he constructed the story, and I, I'm really looking forward to to that, um, even when it comes. So hopefully it does. Mm. Mm. Great, it's a great treat for us, and hopefully it's a treat for the listeners. Definitely. All right, move on to the last story, Dan. Yes. So uh, this is the box, the Phantom Stars in the the, the um, story, the box. It's uh, written by Dean Rankin, which is an interesting thing to say because obviously writers do the writing. This is an eight-page story, so yeah, you'll be happier to hear that Dean Rankin's starting to get a bit more um, page time. Um, there's two dialogues. There's a, a grand total of five, nine, 
10, 11, 12. There's a grand total of 12 words in this entire story. There's so. more FX characters than there is words, you know, Correct. bam, bam, chock, you know, <laughs> uh, whack. There's more of those than there is. I like it. And it's not um, something we see a lot of, is it, where we just have a story that mm. is told by the art. Mm. I must admit, when I first got, I thought, "Oh no, I've stuffed up! I forgot to put the um the, the, dialogue. the, the dialogue in the comic." And then I'm reading it, and I go, "Actually, no, I think I've done this on purpose." <laughs> <That's good." laughs> um, yeah, no, look, I like this story. Again, it's the as we talked about the undergrowth one. It's the short, snappy. Not like this podcast. This podcast is not short or snappy, but it's the short, snappy little page fillers that are not wasting space or anything. They add something. You know, I got a lot of little warm, fuzzy moments during this comic. I enjoyed seeing Jeremy and McPherson drawings. Yeah. I, I enjoy his artwork. Um, and now I'm not sure if anyone else has noticed, but there's two bad guys that I recognise from Lee Fork and Cy Barry's stories. Now, we're not going to make mention of their names or what story it is because we're going to do a competition about this. All right, so we've got some we've got some phantom themed t shirts that we need to get rid of. So now, did you recognise these two people? Uh, certainly, the one that's on the page that's currently on YouTube, um, absolutely on the right hand side there. And there's a hint: you should go to YouTube. I'm not telling you in the podcast. Yeah. And then what about this guy? That would be the um, less so, less so. I, I that okay. didn't jump out to me. Yeah. So the competition will be that we will post these images, and then you're going to have to figure out the names of these people and what the story they actually appeared in. The other thing worth noting, and it's not part of the competition, but the uh, the pose of the Phantom on page 165, you were just on there, uh, page 165, middle left, that's a very mm. side, yeah, that's the one, very mm. side barrier. I think that's a pose that was used in the uh, the drummer of timpani uh, where he's listening to hearing the drums coming across, and it's a, a similar pose to that. So that's an example of the sort of thing we're talking about. There's uh, there's other poses that are that that Jeremy pays homage to. Mm. Mm. Well, I, I enjoy the story. Yeah, it's very phantom like. You know, he's doing this, his action. You know, man of little words, and but then when it comes to the point of showing care and tenderness, you see that also, and superhuman strength because the ability. To, to carry it, yeah. with a rhinoceros in it while your parachute snaps uh, you your your terminal velocity that is incredible he's got some forearm group forearm grip strength like you would not believe this man perhaps slightly pushing the boundaries of what's possible um but uh but a fun story nonetheless <laughs> but it's it's fragile so you gotta you gotta take care yeah. of it <laughs> <laughs> and look, it's a great it's a great way of ending the comic. It and I know we've got the article to which we'll quickly discuss as well, but it yeah. feels like it feels like I remember once I did a chef's table dinner type of thing on a cruise where you have like six meals and then at the end you have like a some sorbet or something which like cleanses your mouth getting ready for like the next course and 
And and it kind of feels like that. It's like a little light, all like you know, your cheese and crackers at the end of your big meal or something, where it just kind of just kind of finishes you off and just gives you that nice, you know, that little that nice little warm feeling. And like, oh, that was nice. I enjoyed that little ending. It's not something heavy. You're not reading a Vietnam story or you know, the Kiss yeah. of Death where the fan or the ghost story where the phantoms in water drowning you know this is a nice fluffy way of ending the comic yeah it's 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 we've talked about the stories but the actual composition of the whole book and the and the mm. the structure the order of stories that they've gone through um that hasn't happened by chance dudley's thought that through and um i 100 agree with you i think that um the the dean rank and filler between the two part one stories you know even the fact that those were both in the middle of the book um finishing with this with this lighter story absolutely um yeah it's a it's a what do they call it a degustation um yeah. to, to- mm. so what do you think of the through publications history by kevin patrick look i thought that was really interesting especially coming on the back of our conversation with um with jeremy mcpherson and uh daniel best about peter chapman which we've had had recently we talked a lot about um through stories and and through comics from early days um it absolutely reminds us that while this is the 75th anniversary of Fru, and most people would know Fru for their Phantom comics, they've actually got a pretty rich history um, mm. in their first 15 or 20 so years of existence of publishing a lot of other titles. Um, and so it was really, um, it was great to go back and have Kevin Patrick provide a, a pretty substantial and extensive um, collection or reminder of what all of those were. And I like and- the index as well. I thought the index, like the index for me really is like, oh, wow, have they really published that many stories? That was enlightening, wasn't it? Mm. To go, well, that's a, that's a lot of different titles that they published. Mm. And, and again, most of those would be in the first 15 or 20 years of this 75-year history. But um, it just does give you a bit of a picture as to why Glenn might be keen in giant size, Glenn Ford, I mean, to, in giant size to bring some of these titles back because they're an important part of through history. Yeah, yeah. And they also, and a lot of them, they don't have to pay licence fees like the Phantom as well. <laughs> now, uh, it's worth making mention that uh, David Budd's um, via Trevor um, informed us that it looks like Kevin might have missed the Mandrake series from the 1990s in the index. And but look, he he does he does make mention that I think where does it say? While every effort has been made to ensure the accuracy of this listing, the lack of records and the erratic titling and numbering practices of the publisher of the era makes this list a flawed document. But interesting historically so they basically yeah. say look we haven't got this right there's going to be some missing when you listen to the uh when when we get the chance to listen to the peter chapman podcast you get a bit of an indication as to why it's so difficult to uh to track down those records because uh fair to say they didn't have the filing systems um in the 1950s that uh we might have today you can't go to the google drive and just draw back out everything yeah. that you published and this story here, and I'm not now. Obviously, this is just coincidence, but uh, this this here, the green skeleton, uh, actually gets quite a bit of a ma- uh, mention in the in the podcast as well. And the story behind it, maybe the reason why that got created uh, to upset a few churchgoers. So yeah, um, hopefully good. that will tease people to want to listen to that. Absolutely. But look, it's a great addition 
uh, from Kevin to be able to to include that and a, a great addition to the comic. 100%. And, again, to have it all in colour, we've said that the whole way through, mm. but to have the old through covers, whatever the title, um, whether it's the Falcon, Angel Brigade, the Phantom Ranger, which was huge, Planet Man, Suicide Squad, uh, a bunch of the more modern through crew co- covers as well, Green Skeleton you've mentioned. Um, it's it's. I'm so pleased that they were able to be published in colour as well. In black and white, they wouldn't be half of what they uh, jump out at the page here. Mm. Mm. All right, so last question about this. Mm. Do you have a favourite story? Is it The Kiss yeah, of Death? Angels? Is it Undergrowth? Oh, gee, they're all good, though, aren't they? The Slave is the, the, the sequel to The Slave Traders is is really well written. The Sing, the Sing Raiders, I think, that, uh, as I said, Andreas Ericsson has created a, a potentially a template for what a 20-second Phantom looks like, and it's a really clever story. It shows that he knows the the whole thing. Ghosts of Ships Past, I love the way that brings Kid Phantom into the real Phantom universe, and, and we both talked about what a fun story it is, both of the creators enjoying that one. Undergrowth, I said at the time, was potentially my favourite. Kiss of the Devil, I, I, I can't wait to read that in the next episode. I, I actually will be ripping over my subscription cover, um, envelope, sorry, when it arrives to, to, to see the second half and how that pans out phantom in vietnam i'm well and truly on the record i know stop looking at your watch germ is a favorite of mine um to maybe i don't know maybe in the context of this book to rack and ruin at grave lines doesn't quite stand up but part of the bigger picture it's a huge part of uh of the phantom story which is why we want to see it in its own standalone alone book and the box has got its own unique elements. So, no, I don't have a favourite story. You you pick one out of those, Germ, because I can't. Um, top three will be Undergrowth, the Sing Raiders, and the probably the Kiss of the Devil. But it is it is very it is very hard. Okay. Then, Foley, not in the yeah. top three. That's what Jermaine said. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I've said in the podcast, and I'll say it again. You know, this this Shane the Shane story is yeah. top three um, of the sequel stories that have been written by the Team Free Crew. You think um, it's it, that this is going to feature heavily in our favourite through issue of the year? Uh, I think it, I think it's almost not even worth having that competition. <laughs> that option, I think. Yes. It's, you know, it will be ninety percent will vote this as their as their best fruit issue. Oh, it's going to take something very special in the Christmas special to beat that for mine. It's it's an incredible volume, um, one of the best Phantom books that's come out for a long, long time. I would say that I have I have not been excited with anticipation for a free comic like this since probably the Phantom War annual. And that was when we first got an annual that actually had a theme, had new stories in it, had a really good cover um, and stuff like that. That that I was really excited about that. I've, I was more excited about this. Probably the last time I was that excited, I would have been 13. And that was through number 1125, which was an annual back then. I had been a Phantom fan for probably like a an addict 
Phantom fan for probably about two, three months, and I skipped my sister's birthday party and stayed in the car and read the annual during the party. Now, it meant not hanging out with uh, 10 or 11-year-old girls, so, you know, a comic was much better option than that. <laughs> but, yeah, that was, you know, that's kind of like where I am on my excitement levels. So that's um, – but that's – is that also reading it? Because that's the anticipation you're talking about. Has it mm. has it held up to that anticipation once yes. you got it? Yes. Yeah. I took half a day off work to read it. Actually took holiday pay, so I thought, screw this, I am not working. And I put in some holiday pay and I gave this a read. Unreal. Well, Dudley, if you're listening, uh, thank you for, for putting this out. To Glenn and to Renee, if you're listening, Thank you for continuing the the tradition of uh, Fru, uh, making sure that we were able to get to 75 years because back in, what was it, 2013 or 15 or whatever it was, we thought perhaps Fru was done. Um, so to get to 75 years is is pretty sensational and to celebrate it in, in this fashion. Look, if you're this far through and you haven't gone and read the bloody book yet, go and do so because um, you must. You just must. Mm. All right, we better wrap this up before it becomes a two-hour podcast. It was going to be snappy, we said. <laughs> try. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks very much, Jen, for joining us. Um, Steve, I would love to have uh, heard your thoughts. I know that um, we'll, we'll... It would have been a two-hour podcast if he was no involved. No doubt. No doubt. Um, look, as Jerm said, uh, social media, hit us up. There's been a bunch of questions we've had. There's, we've had a bunch of opinions. If you uh, concur, if you disagree, um, hit us up, whether it's in the comments on YouTube or, uh, I don't know, DMs on Instagram, slide into our Snapchat. I don't know how it works. But Jerm's all across it. He'll reply to whatever you send him. Chroniclechamber yeah. at gmail.com is the best way because that's the uh, the long form email we, we'd love to hear from you there thanks very much for tonight Jim. i've really enjoyed that um and, and i hope the listeners have as well yeah thank you dan listeners thank you for listening to us uh we wouldn't do this if you weren't listening to us um for myself enjoy 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 if you're an overseas fan dig it out get a copy go to free get an australian to send you copy um, from myself happy fans and from me a uh, quick shout out to my son who got me this awesome phantom shirt for father's day thanks very much gus love your work happy phantoming <laughs>